What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 122 of the Midwest Angler Podcast. I'm Scott Sturman, and I am not joined by Matt Deitch right now, but I will be a little bit later on the episode. Uh, this week, we did things a little bit different, uh, just the way that it ended up working out. Uh, Matt Waldron was able to talk with us earlier in the week, and so me and Matt sat down and talked with Matt Waldron, and uh, we decided to record the intro and the outro later in the week, a little bit different than what we normally do, uh, just because things like the NWT and uh, some other stuff was going on, and we wanted to uh, have that news for you guys on this episode. And uh, the way it worked out, uh, me and Matt weren't able to get together this weekend to record an intro and an outro. We actually got together and did a little bit of fishing. So uh, that works out better. Uh, me and Matt agreed that I would just quick uh, make a little intro, then turn around, make a little outro, put it on here. And uh, yeah, that is what it is. But uh, uh, yeah, we got a really cool episode for you guys this week. Uh, we're going to be talking with Matt Waldron. Uh, Matt's from... Uh, up uh, in the Minneapolis area, somewhere there, um, and uh, Matt is a Matt's an, an electronics uh, genius. Actually, uh, you know he he does everything. Uh, he, he works at Vexlar, but he he rigs boats, does all sorts of stuff. And uh, uh, I'll will tell you right now, if you don't like uh, uh, marine electronics, this probably ain't going to be the episode for you. But uh, I I think I think everyone can get something out of this. There's a lot of information packed in this episode. So uh, yep. Without further ado, we're going to go over there and uh, chat with Matt. We've got uh, Matt Waldron uh, from Omaha, Nebraska, that uh, plays for the Cleveland, played for the Cleveland Indians. There's a Matt Waldron from Wake Forest, North Carolina. That's a co-angler on the Phoenix Bass Fishing League. But we got the Matt Waldron from Bloomington, Minnesota, on the show today. Matt, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. I want you guys. Oh, all right, doing all right. Did you did you know that there was that many other Matt Waldrons out there? I I did not know that. I did not. Soon, actually, it's not going to be from Bloomington anymore. It's about to be from New Prague. Oh, really? We actually, yeah. I had a little birdie tell me that uh, you were moving down to New Prague. And, uh, uh, you know, you as a new homeowner, uh, a lot of people go out and they get a whole bunch of brand new stuff for their house. But I'm just going to tell you right now, don't go buy a ladder because we've actually got a professional light bulb changer there in New Prague. Uh, goes by the name of Scott Mockentoon. Do you know him? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, he's 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 not much to look at, but God dang it, if you need a light bulb changed, he's your guy. He's cleaning out gutters, all sorts of stuff, and and you as a brand new homeowner, you you might want to take advantage of it. I I definitely will actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, the first big project. Well, actually, we've been doing a whole bunch of painting and fun stuff and tearing down wallpaper. And, uh, but the first big project is I got to put a new garage door and I went to back the boat in and I got about an inch on either side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes for well, a tight fit. If I have a couple at the bar, or if I, <laughs> like in the middle of the night, <laughs> it ain't going to be fun trying to get it back in and out of the garage. So we're going to have to push her out about a foot. So, so are you a handy guy? Like, I mean, are you going to take on this construction stuff by yourself or, or is that something that you hire out? I've got a buddy that's going to help me with that. I'm, I'm good with small voltage and that's about it. <laughs> well, that beats that's, me. I was going to say that's better voltage. than the two of us combined here. So <laughs> high voltage isn't good. Um, so like working on outlets and stuff like that, I'll pass, uh, Working on framing of a house, I'll also pass on. 
knowing me, the house will collapse pretty quick. Uh, but boats, electronics, that's right up my alley. Boat motors, mm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm working on it. But the rest of it, trolling motors, graphs, boat electrical work itself, that's, that's right up my alley. Well, you mentioned you mentioned your garage there. I, I saw a picture the other day. Did, can you back the boat in hooked up to the truck to that? Is that an extra deep garage? Yeah, it is. Uh, so it's a 1960 Rambler that I bought. And in 1980, they pushed out the back end of the garage and made it a, a double stall deep. So it's uh, I can have my truck and the, the boat hooked up at the same time in the garage. But I'm probably not going to do that too often i'm probably just gonna have i'm gonna have too much stuff in the back of the garage but the boat will fit perfectly so it, it's just a little snug right now on the, on the, <laughs> on door, the door frame yeah yeah but yeah i so far I, I like it it's uh it's a work in progress we had to do a lot of work to the house so it, it mostly just cosmetic stuff everything functionality wise is sound which is what we wanted because we're okay with doing some paintwork and wallpaper teardown, so. Sure. When at the end of the day, as long as you could store the boat, I mean, any, anything <laughs> yeah, else is that's, just yeah. right. <laughs> that's yeah, that that's was, just that a bonus. Was a priority for me. That was a big priority for me. Oh, here goes the dogs. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I told you, it wasn't going to be long. I'm actually thankful that you got the dogs barking. I mean, like I said, we could have a baby crying. Uh, we got my son over there playing Fortnite. So if he happens to get shot, he's probably going to yeah. lose it. So uh, like I said, we're, we're a pretty low budget, uh, no frills podcast. And I, I think it's good to have a couple dogs barking in the background. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Well, I'm in the boat right now just rigging some rods. So, you know, I, I knew it was probably going to be a factor at some point. There's going to be dogs barking. <laughs> Throw him a treat. That always shuts me up. <laughs> I checked, and my my beer cooler in the boat has been uh, decimated by my buddies. So, uh oh, that's yeah. a load. Oh, yeah, there's quite a few beers in here, and there's quite a few empties in the cooler. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matt, yeah. you uh, you talked a little bit about electronics there. Uh, you you actually do electronics for a living. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I'm a service tech and engineer at Vexilar Marine Electronics. We make ice fishing uh, flashers. We used to be heavy in the open water game, but we've kind of drifted out of that a bit. Um, it all started back in the, the 70s with the paper graphs. Uh, paper graphs are still used today. Uh, for people who don't know what a paper graph is, it is a scrolling roll of paper uh, that looks like a white LCD screen, but it's just a paper scroll that's getting etched uh, by a, a stylus that etches the sonar readings into it. And that was pretty much the world's first. Oh, thank you. I just got a beer given to me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a bush, but it's a bud, and it's going to be nice and cold. Um, but it, uh, paper graphs were um, pretty much the world's first ever side imaging. So you can shoot out uh, about a thousand foot with it and see schools of fish Holy moly. about a thousand feet away and commercial carp fishermen today still use them when they do the carp nettings in the winter um, so they're, they're still being used a lot of uh, Great Lakes fishermen still use them as well because uh, you can't really get a side imaging unit that will go out thousand to fifteen hundred feet away from you and so when commercial fishermen are looking for these big schools of salmon, um, carp, whatever it may be that they are netting, um, 
they're using paper graphs typically. And so it's still a technology that's relevant, just more on a small scale basis. Um, and then we came out with the world's first liquid crystal or uh, LCD uh, display unit. I think it was in the seventies or so. Um, oh man, we got a guy on the weed whip now. It's going to be an interesting one. Oh, only um, a new prank. Ask so. him if he wants to be on. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know. He's got his earmuffs on. He's going to town. He's listening to us. I'm going to let him be. Um, but uh, we invented the world's first liquid crystal display fish finder. Um, I want to say that that was in the mid-70s to late-70s. Um, and that around that same time, Steve Bauman, the owner who was an engineer with the company at, at the time, was working on the world's first ever digital scale, um, which is a positive and negative note. The positive is that we created it and we're credited for that. The negative is they didn't get the patent in time. Oh, geez. So they lost out on a lot of money potential. Um, but a company called Normark, as you guys know of being one of the owning companies of Rapala, uh, actually, um, was one of the companies that partnered up with us for the, that digital scale technology. So, so what is a day to day, you know, you, you say that you're a service, uh, service tech. I mean, yep. one day you're working on paper graphs, the next day you're working on an underwater camera and the next day you're working on a uh, FLX 12. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I don't do much with the paper graphs. That's all Steve. He's the, he's the paper graph guru. He was one of the engineers behind development of the paper graph. And he's the only one in the world that actually works on them today. Um, so he does all the paper graph stuff. Um, pretty much what I do at Vexlar is a wide variety of things. Um, in the fall, in the spring, I help out with sales, product development. Um, in the summer, I help out with production. We actually assemble every unit here. Our head units are made in Japan. Our transducers are made um, in... There's some made in Florida. There's some made here in-house. There's some made in California. And then we have a few of them made in Japan. Um, and then... Uh, pretty much all the carrying cases are made in Minnesota and Iowa and everything is all put back together and we assemble everything, test the head units, transducers and batteries in house in Bloomington. Um, and then, uh, so I do that pretty much all summer long. And then the winter, that's my busy time of the year because that's when uh, I'm fixing and working on Vexlar units, which is our mainstay, our number one priority. And uh, so that's anywhere from people running over their units with four wheelers um, to dropping their units to units being water damaged and submerged underwater. Um, there, there's 90 million different things that can happen to a unit, uh, old age on a unit. Um, and sometimes the units just get ran hard or a fluke thing happens. So um, there, there's a hundred different things that uh, could cause a unit to fail, but that's kind of what I work on. Um, but right now, this time of year, we are doing a lot of prep work for assembly. And then we're also getting, uh, a lot of literature done. So what that means is like, uh, for new products that we are releasing this fall, we are doing all manuals, um, 
signage for stores uh, and then write-ups for stores on introducing the new product, which we usually have our meetings about a couple months ago with uh, retailers introducing the product and getting down product quantity amounts that we need to project to order. Um, so there, there's a bunch of different stuff at different times of the years that we all do. Um, one cool thing about Vexlar is we're only ran by 14 people. And so we all help out with everything. Um, whether it's taking phone calls, emails, whatever it may be, uh, helping out with K-Drill sales. K-Drill is uh, ice fishing auger that we make. Um, we build it by hand here in Bloomington as well. Um, all the parts are made uh, besides the auger cover. Uh, all the parts are made in the United States and assembled here in Bloomington. Um, so we, we try to outsource locally as much as we can. Um, but that's kind of an everyday deal at Vex, um, we do a little bit of everything. What's what's like the craziest thing that you've had a Vex come in to fix? Like happen to it? Like I think Don Cox maybe dropped one off his horse one time. Okay, never mind. <laughs> got got yeah, in a that, stampede. That, that, yeah. Got in a stampede. <laughs> um, oh man, we've had I've had so many guys drop their units into the lake. Um, we actually had a guy dump his snow bear and he's uh a, one of the guides out in south dakota uh south dakota had some really sketchy ices last year yeah, they did. Uh, ain't a kidding. and it kind of lasted throughout the whole entire winter uh they had a lot of snow in some spots and then no snow in other spots and it seemed like the iowa great those glacial lakes on the eastern side or excuse me the uh south dakota glacial lakes on the eastern side of the state um so pretty much from webster down to north of brookings um all those lakes just kind of had weird ice in different areas and uh one of the guys dumped a snow bear through and he lost he had six vex units and two garmin units one with live scope and it uh i was able to get i think five out of the six vex units working one of them was just a total loss um some of the newer VEX units have what we call a multi-layered PCB, which is a circuit board that has multiple layers to it. And if water gets inside the circuit board into those layers, it's pretty much a done deal. Right. Um, so that's what unfortunately had happened. But it's about a 50-50 shot if we can get water damage units working. As long as people air them out and get them out fairly quick, there's usually a good shot that we can fix them up. Um, but sometimes they're just, it's the lost cause. We usually try to help customers out though, and give them a deal on a, a new unit just because we know that they didn't intend for their stuff to be submerged. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, that's kind of the, I don't know, crazy. I don't know, crazy. We've seen units come back just charred because they had like a garage fire or something and they just wanted to see if it was even salvageable. Right. Um, this year, probably the craziest thing was a guy bought a brand new FLX 30 from us and uh, his dad that he took out fishing backed up the truck over it. And that thing was a total loss, but we helped him out. But there, it's, it's a lot of, you know, accidental stuff yeah. that people don't intend to happen. Um, 
but yeah, that snow bear was probably the worst where I've gotten six units in one box and all of them look like hell. So yeah, that's like getting hit with a baseball bat in the nuts. Like not only <laughs> yeah. did you, not only did you drop through, you dropped through a snow bear and it had thousands of dollars worth of electronics. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, and so it was four twenty eights a F an old FL eight, which was one of their clients. And then, uh, I think one of them was a 30 or there was either, it was, uh, there was four 28s for sure. Oh, one of them was an 18. Um, and one of the ones we couldn't fix was a 28, but we helped him out cause he's one of our guides. Prairie storm outfitters is a guide service and they do a good job out there. But yeah, this year was sketchy. There was a lot of people that passed away in South Dakota. Yeah, I think it was, was terrible. It was a bad, bad year for it. Mm-hmm. So now speaking of ice fishing, uh, you know, you, you were on the Crappie Chronicles uh, deal here yep. a few months back. Uh, uh, how, many, how many friend requests did you get when that was going on? Oh, it was it was pretty ridiculous. Um, I started a TikTok, actually, during that and got up almost up to 10,000 followers on it. Um, it, it. It was, yeah, it was nuts. Uh, we would just post all the trailers on TikTok, and we actually think we got a lot of our viewership from TikTok. Really? Uh, hmm. They're having videos. Most of them were in the tens to 20,000 video uh, view range. The first one hit like 100,000 for TikTok. Um, so that, I think, helped. But, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um, I think I gained like 500 followers or something <laughs> like that on Instagram. But uh, we really enjoyed it. It was a ton of fun. Um, it was definitely new a new concept that we had thought of in the summer and you know with bart pursuing his filming career full-time uh we kind of saw it as an opportunity to not only help bart out but help griff and i out with just our own social media platforms so right uh, i mean you expanded all three of your brands you know yeah like griff uh actually probably the coolest thing out of all this was Griff actually was able to quit his bricklaying job, and now he went full-time with his guiding because of it. Oh, that's awesome. Really? That, I think, was the coolest thing ever. He was able to quit, you know, something he didn't really like to do to pursue something he loved. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That was, yeah, that was probably the coolest thing to come out of all this um, was Griff's guide business popped off. So that that was really, really cool. Do you enjoy- got, like... 17 phone calls after the last episode when we plugged his guide service really that's awesome uh-huh. do you enjoy the the filming or is that not really your thing yeah i absolutely loved it um it was a ton of fun i would i'm probably gonna do some this summer um i don't have all the fancy stuff like bart has i got a, a little mini drone that's a little cheap one i'm gonna try to get worked on um and then a bunch of GoPros, but I enjoy it just for like little bits of content and stuff here and there, but I'm never going to want to pursue it full time. I love what I do at Vexlar and I, I have all the respect in the world for Bart for doing it because it's, it's a trying job. It's not easy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Matt, right. got, Matt got into filming for a while, but uh, it's all rated X stuff and we can't really talk about <laughs> it on the podcast. That's, that's, that's a different podcast. <laughs> Short videos. Short yeah. videos. <laughs> more way than one so (laughs) yeah it's not in it for me um the amount of time he spent behind the computer editing 
Well, oh, that's, that's, that's the crazy. That'd I mean, terrible. I think that's what people don't realize. Like, we get to see like a twenty to thirty minute video, and it's like, wow, that was awesome. But they don't. I don't think a lot of people concept and gra- you know just grasp like how much time goes into that little bit. Yeah, Bart. I mean, on average, I would say Bart probably edited each edited each video in between seven and a half hours and. 12 hours of editing right that's 13 hours too much (laughs) yeah it is i mean it it's a lot of work that goes into it and he did one hell of a job doing it um it was it was a ton of fun i absolutely love doing it um we're working on if we can get our schedules to line up this next year to do it uh i've got ice fishing tournaments griff's gonna be guiding a lot and then bart's got Bassmaster opens he's gonna be fishing so that's right there's we we, we got to see if we can get our schedules to align. We're hoping that we can do it, but right now it's kind of all up in the air. So we're working on stuff though. But do, hopefully, do you, it all works. I mean, we got to do it. Right. 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 Oh, yeah. absolutely. Got it. I mean, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, them boys up in Canada didn't do the thirty-nine hours this year, and it about killed me. So I mean, you guys <laughs> got to go ahead and do that crappy chronicles again. Yeah. Yeah. We we. We're working on it. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah, we're working on it. It's 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 a lot of time and work that goes into it. Um, you know, God bless my fiance for letting me do it because I, I was gone every weekend from November until about end of January. Actually, probably until end of March because of ice fishing tournaments and filming. So she she put up with me being gone a lot um so that was really cool and she didn't really complain at all the entire time so that was that was awesome but hopefully if we can do it again schedules line up better um a lot of people don't realize i was only able to film on the weekends so every episode that we have was shot in the in between four weekends well, and, and, and then you're in that air, high populated area so you're battling you know other people and yeah. Yep. And the the other big factor was is that we were so limited on time to get everything done, we had no room for error. There was like four times where we completely struck out, and we tried to show little bits and pieces of it, but it uh, we everything had to go perfect. And for it to go perfect, the amount of times that it did, um, I mean, granted, we didn't get a true. 17 on the tape on camera um we did get a a really big one and i believe the third episode but we had so many people around us there's a lot of locals that were really really pissed off that we were filming and that we actually we left early because we didn't feel safe being there anymore there's a couple vehicles that got keyed wow Um, holy moly oh yeah it, it wasn't good um that was a very awkward scenario to be in uh because i wasn't used to that at all so that that wasn't fun and you know people were actually pissed off that we were letting fish go uh say that one one more time yeah yeah people were actually really pissed that we were letting fish go um it was super strange i yeah i don't know it was it was a really weird scenario so we weren't able to get that fish on the tape um i've got about three crappies including that one, three crappies over the 17 inch mark now. And that one, that one was just as big as the other two, if not bigger. So I'm, 
I'm pissed that I wasn't able to, you know, certify my own big fish. You know, I, I, I want to know how big it is so I could get a replica of it and I'll never know. So I'm not too happy about it, but it is what it is. Um, do you consider yourself a crappie specialist or is, I mean, is it just something that you fish for in the, in the winter? Uh, it would be, I would, I wouldn't say specialist, but I'm a panfish guru. Um, I have a sweet spot in my heart for giant bluegills. Um, big crappies I've grown to love. And uh, I would say Griff is probably the big crappie specialist. Griff hates bluegills. Um, he loves, loves, loves giant crappies and he's growing up fishing for them. And I have two, but I have, my passion is with giant bluegills. Um, I do a lot of ice fishing tournaments in the winter. And so, uh, that kind of drives my competitive aspect of it from open water bass fishing tournaments to, um, the ice fishing. And so that was a lot of fun fishing the UPL the last couple of years and the NAIFC, which is kind of the professional circuit of ice fishing. We don't really have, we don't really have a big circuit anymore. Or what we do, we have the NAIFCs, but they're kind of getting less and less popular. Um, a lot more people are just fishing the UPLs, the Minnesota Maids. Um, I think Michigan has a few ice fishing circuits. I'm not sure about Iowa. Um, no, there's not. There's you guys not. used to have. You guys used to have the Team Extremes, right? But I'm not sure what you guys are doing anymore. Um, just when the NAIFC and then some local bait shops put on some tournaments, yeah. but there's no like real like traveling series. Yep, yep. So, with the NAI, or yeah, well, you guys have the Okaboji NAIFC that goes down there, right? right. And so that that's a, a pretty that's a pretty fun event. We fished that one a few years back. Um, you guys had so horrible I, weather for that one, though. Yeah, that was that was pretty brutal. That one, I think, feels like air temperature. That day was, I think, it was like negative fifty one with the wind chill. Right um pre-fishing you guys actually, were in blizzards yeah it was it was a ground blizzard that day um which was the weirdest thing i've ever experienced it was sunny out and if you look straight up you could see the sun but if you looked out in front of you if my tournament partner shane if he was 20 30 feet away i couldn't see him yeah so it was it was really weird um it was something i definitely was not used to <laughs> at all and it definitely made me hate ice fishing for that weekend. <laughs> right. Makes yeah. you question your sanity. Yeah. So, it only takes a certain amount of time, but usually around March, I end up hating ice fishing a lot and just wanted to pick the boat up and head south. For sure. You guys did pretty well just recently on a crappie tournament up there on Lake Minnetonka too, didn't you? Open water? Yeah. Yeah. Me, Griff, and Shane. So Shane's my tournament partner. And then... Uh, we fish against Griff and his tournament partner, Josh Dean, but we practice together and break down water together and we share information. Um, it just makes it easier being able to cover water and dissect everything. And so we, uh, I think, yeah, it would have been on Saturday. We, uh, we fished the Memories Made Guide Service tournament on Minnetonka. And that one isn't as much of a money tournament as it is. Um, it's more of a charity event for veterans. It's to raise funds for uh, Mike Farrell's guide service, which takes veterans out for free the entire year on Mille Lacs, Lake of the Woods, Rainy Lake, all these destination places, they take vets out. And so this was more so to raise funds for them. 
Um, but this year we filled up with 40 boats and it was all our, the ice fishing tournament pros. So it was fun to fish against all the guys and it made it really, really competitive. So it's more of a bragging rights type thing right, and yeah. against really, really good anglers. Is that a but, humble brag? You know, that, 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 you know, that you just happened to win it and, uh, oh, and, well, uh, you it, know, it, against some us, really, really good anglers. It, all of us really go against each other. Um, they beat me just as many times as I beat them. So that's why it's so much fun and competitive because all of us, we pride ourselves on being good ice fishermen and panfish fishermen. And so it makes it that much better when you get a little bit of a jab in because <laughs> you know that they've gotten it on you seven or eight times already oh, so yeah. me being a lot younger than these guys i always like it when i get a chance to do well because they've been kicking my ass for so long now you know ever since i was little that it's good when i have a little bit of success because it, it lets me taste it a little bit but yeah they'll beat me eight more times like clayton uh kettering and Ryan Hilla, who they actually took second place team of the year for UPL this year. They beat us in every ice fishing tournament this year, and it pissed me off. And Shane, my tournament partner, has ever never actually beaten them in a tournament. So this was fun because they took second this time. So <laughs> Scott, they won it. They they won it the last two years. So Scott Merwin was in that crappy tournament, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's good Scott, that you Scott's beat him. Yeah, that's good. They got to bring in the old guys sometimes. Those old guys. That's good that they let them out of the nursing home and <laughs> go, yeah. go, yeah. Fish a, go fish a tournament. Entire day, so it was fun talking to him and shooting the shit with Scott. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yep, he's a great guy. Oh, for sure. Now, yeah. now speaking of uh, some open water fishing, uh, you you do quite a bit of rigging of boats, right? Yeah. Yep. I love rigging boats. Um, not i don't do it for hire as much anymore i usually just do it to help out buddies now um i used to do it for hire when i was younger but i found out that insurance costs a lot of money (laughs) for that and you have to kind of start up an llc so i kind of got out of doing it freelance but what i do do a lot is just free educational stuff on rigging boats and so when people have questions on rigging boats i usually just answer all their questions for free because i know i was in their spot before and you know it it can be confusing stuff if you're having issues and not knowing why something isn't working or how to make something run better and so i usually just like helping people out now and giving them free information on how to you know resolve their issues or uh, prevent future issues now, how do, how do you think you got good at electronics? I mean, is this, I mean, did you watch a bunch of YouTube videos? I mean, did you dive into a bunch of magazines? Is it just from being in boats so much and, and being in front of, you know, electronics that, that you just slowly get good at them? I mean, how, how, how do you figure that, that that came to be? A lot of it is, to be honest, a little bit of everything. Um, you know, from rigging, doing my own boat not being able to afford to pay someone to rig my boat my first boat was a little 15 or 16 foot alumacraft with a 40 horse on it and you know i was a i was a temporary worker at vexlar and back just doing assembly work and i couldn't afford to you know pay for someone to hook up you know a couple small lawrence units to the boat so i just you know kind of sat down and tried to figure out how to do it myself and uh, a lot of it was trial and error type stuff. And then 
along with that, then working my way up through Vex, getting a lot of training, you know, doing some class stuff. Um, I started to learn the ins and outs of sonar, LCD units, flasher units, um, whatever it may be. I started figuring out a lot more stuff about, you know, the right way to rig sonars, the right transducer angle mounts. The, I mean, there's there's hundreds of different things that can attribute to sonar performance and signal strengths of sonar um, from just down to what power cable you're using you know picture quality is affected hugely by that um so there's there's a lot of little nuances that i've just kind of picked up um you know even as of recent you know learning that it's good to have a shielded power cord where you have some conduit over the power cable just to prevent interference um while you're rigging the boat, there's a company called Sonar Pros, and that's something that I just picked up on as of recently that I've been watching a bunch of their stuff, and that's one thing that they like to do. Just as a, it doesn't make that huge of a difference. It's just another added prevention type thing. Um, but a lot of it has just been, you know, from working at Vexlar and learning the ins and out of low voltage electronics, especially to do with sonar. So that that's been a big learning curve for me is you know working there and that that's helped out hugely and it's taught me a ton of stuff now now obviously your vexlar when it comes to ice fishing and and i know that you mentioned uh uh when i was talking to you earlier today that that you ran one open water also but uh when it comes open water you uh you have some experience with all the all the brands with garmin with uh with lawrence with hummingbird kind of a little bit of everything right yeah yep so on my first boat that I had, I had Lawrence Elite Sevens on it, um, and then on my old Triton that I had, it was I had uh, HGS Twelve Carbon, and then uh, HGS Nine Gen Three on the bow, and then I upgraded those and went to Solix Fifteens, um, and that was about the time when Garmin started pushing their Live Scope. So Live Scope, I put. I've got one for ice and then one for the boat. And then I got two 93 SVs. One's GPS for the four-wheeler. And then the other one's designated live scope unit that I transfer from boat to four-wheeler. And then the Solix is just kind of, you know, stay in the garage or stay in, indoors in the during the winter. Um, so I, I've kind of done everything. The only brand I really haven't dabbled with is Raymarine. Uh, Simrad is primarily salt. And so I... I haven't dabbled with them too much but ray marine is one of the brands that i i just haven't gotten into i looked at getting a couple axiom pros um but decided against it because of the uh the sd card capability to them the update capability you know downloading stuff off of the graph such as screenshots i do a lot of screenshot reviewing um and that that's kind of I, I'm a very analytical guy. And so when I go to prefish or do something for a tournament, I do a ton of homework. Uh, and so those units just weren't quite what I was needing to get out of them. Um, and so I went and stayed with the hummingbird units because of the, the side imaging and down imaging. And then the Garmin units on the boat as well, um, because Garmin has a, a, I like their their version of their Navionics mapping. And then I cross it with the Lake master from the hummingbird. Um, but primarily for their live scope feature is why I have it on the boat. Um, 
it's made jerk bait fishing a lot more fun. I can <laughs> kind of get that yeah. just from just everybody that has, has done it, you know, watching the elite guys using it now. I mean, it is, I mean, you get to see it. It's not just like that painful pause. It's like, you know, there's something they're looking at it. So, Oh yeah. Like, so then, the, then I, you can pause it. Like your pause oh, can yeah. be a little longer. Yep. Yep. I completely agree. Um, my record. So me and a couple buddies time, how long of a pause it's taken to get a smallmouth to eat. My buddy's record's four and a half minutes. I don't think I'll ever beat that. But my record <laughs> right now is like two minutes and 15 seconds on a pause to get a, a smallmouth to eat the jerk bait. It wasn't a big one. It was about a two-pounder. I could tell you it was a six. But it, it was about a two-pounder that ate it. But it was still pretty cool seeing how long I could sit there and stare at the jerk bait before one would come up and eat it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a really cool type of technology, and I balance it in with my ice fishing as well. Um, I use it to, to find fish. Ultimately, I use the Vex to catch fish because of the superior target separation and the yeah. time delay being a non-factor with a, a real-time flasher. Um, and you get a little bit better sizing and mood indicators of the fish as well. You can tell on a Vex if a fish is tilting up or tilting down just by the way the lines are stacked below the, the target or above the target um because those are the fins and which way they're angled so there, there's there's a bunch of little stuff that you can get into with the vexlar unit that the garmin just can't quite do um and so that's why it's a really deadly one-two combo fishing with both the garmin and the vex unit through the ice but for open water um i i mostly use it like when i'm largemouth fishing as a reference tool to how far away that weed line is or how tall the weeds are mm-hmm. uh just for normal summer largemouth fishing because up here on minnetonka you know about 90 percent of the time those fish are so buried in the weeds that you can't see into the weeds with any type of sonar so i mostly use it as a reference gauge to find the taller patches of foil and then to you know just maybe see if there's a fish or two hanging on the outside of it or to see how far away that grass is from the boat and i use it more as a reference gauge um and then I use the flasher on the boat and I use that as a bottom hardness gauge. Um, so let's say I'm in like 10, 15 foot of water fishing a weed edge. What I do is I crank, or let's say I'm in eight foot of water flipping the milfoil line where it reaches the surface. Well, my boat's still in weeds and side imaging and live scope isn't the greatest. Well, what you do on a Vexlar unit is you crank your, your depth range up to about 40 or 50 foot, which is way overkill you definitely don't need to go that deep but the reason why i do that is to look at double echoes to find the hard spots in the weeds um that's super important to me is finding those harder uh those harder bottom returns and so it's easier to do that with the flasher because with the lcd unit the way the processor works it kind of drowns out a lot of those double echoes uh because of the weeds and so it's a different type of processor because it's doing a lot more thinking the flasher is raw data and so it just shows you, you know, your, the hardness of your returns and how many returns there are. Well, in about the last 15 minutes, I realized how dumb I am. And I realized why you catch so many more fish than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I, I, I would. I strike out a lot, but <laughs> I, I, I just, I spend a lot of time with sonar. So I like being able to, you know, teach people and educate people on 
you know, it doesn't matter. I, I don't care too much if you ask me a Garmin question or a Lawrence question or a Hummingbird question. I enjoy being able to answer everyone's questions. So I familiarize myself with the product, even if I don't have it, um, just so I, I know and can help people out. Because there's a lot of people that sonar just kind of flies over their head and they don't really understand how to tweak or make their unit perform better. Um, and so that, that's one thing that I really like doing is helping people have that, Oh, wow. Factor where that really works and that looks good. And being able to help them understand why it does is one thing that I really like to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I dabble with pretty much all types of sonar. Um, it, even from handheld, uh, little depth finders, we have a product called an LPS one that divers use. Uh, to tell how far away a pr- uh, an object is from them while they're underwater. Because if you've ever dived before, you can't really see that well. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I like to dabble with everything sonar. But, uh, you know, I think definitely uh, ice fishing and understanding how fish react on sonar has definitely made me a better bass fisherman. Um Especially when video gaming smallmouths, it it's really helps significantly. For sure, well, I'm sure of that. Now, mm. now I, I just want your opinion. Uh, you know, let's dumb this down for for a guy like me. Uh, say say I've got a boat and I'm looking uh, to get electronics, and you know, right now I don't have the money for say a live scope or whatever. Would you better? Re- what would you recommend? Would you say that I should save up and get the live scope or should I get used to getting something a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit cheaper, uh, not as, you know, with not as many features and, and get used to that and then down the road, move up to the live scope. Um, I would say get something cheaper first. Uh, right. the main reason because is what I have noticed with the live scope is, uh, it's, it's, almost addicting to the point where you will miss a lot of stuff because you're so focused at staring at that screen. It's almost like the guys that like to throw giant swim baits or the guys that only throw frogs or the guys that, you know, are crankbait guys or jig guys. They get so addicted to that bite that they, they miss everything else. And so that's where I would say, don't get it. If you mean, well, if you have an addictive personality, all fishermen have an addictive personality, let's face it. But um, the the main reason why I would say no is because you can find yourself, especially if you're new to sonar, too dependent on what you see on that screen to be able to take your eyes off of it and really learn how to read the water. So for me, that's where I'm kind of happy where I, I didn't grow up with a boat. I grew up fishing out of a canoe with my best friend Beak and I'd fish tournaments as a co-angler and then I'd fun fish out of the canoe. Uh, a bunch of my old pictures. I don't know if I still have them on Instagram. They're for sure on Facebook. All of them are from a canoe. So that's how I really learned how to bass fish reading Bassmaster magazine and then going out and doing it in the canoe. And so I, uh, I, I feel like learning how to read the water is a lot more important than learning how to read a graph in your earlier stages. Um, but if you're already pretty familiar with sonar, um, and you are accustomed to not completely relying on it and being able to, you know, rely on more of your instincts at the same time, then it's definitely worth the investment 
I can definitely say it's helped put a couple more fish in the boat. Um, but it, it's definitely not something that I 100% rely on. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, if you can justify it, yeah, it's a pretty sweet tool, but that being said, it, it can also be a negative at some points too. And a lot of people don't see that. Now, that being said, side imaging down in, I would say side imaging in a good 2D sonar unit. Down imaging doesn't really play to me a whole lot because we don't have a lot of brush piles up here. We have a lot of weeds. And so a lot of times you can't see fish in the weeds even with down imaging. So to me, uh, your 2D sonar and being able to read echoes and your side imaging is super important. So I would say before anything, get a good side imaging unit. That's something that I can definitely say you know, without a doubt, hands down is the best purchase you can make as an angler is not only learning how to use side imaging, but getting a decent side imaging unit um, is huge. That can, because that gives you a, at least an idea of what you're fishing. It gives you a picture of the bottom and it's pretty easy to decipher. Okay. That's a boulder. Those are fish. Those are, that's a weed line right there. Um, and it, it, it does help learn quite a bit. Because you don't really rely on the, the side imaging while you're fishing. You drop the waypoints on the sweet spots, and then you adjust and figure out how to fish the spot. So I would say that's by far the number one most important thing. Would you say that it's like the networking capabilities is important too so that you can drop that waypoint when you're driving around and now it's up on your bow um, well, unit? So that when you... I first started, I... Uh... I had one graph and all I would do is I would just spin the graph and look back at it. Right. Oh yeah. That's, that's how I, yeah. Yeah. It it really, you only need one good unit to be able to learn how to fish effectively. Um, but it is very nice if you can have both units, you know, talking to each other and networking. Well, and then, I mean, now the Yamaha motors talk to the Garmin units Jason Christie on the Sabine River, he knew exactly how much gas he was using and exactly how much gas he had left when he was making those long runs. I mean, this is getting pretty incredible. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. You can actually do that with your Lowrance units and your Hummingbird units. Uh, there is a boat company out there called Ballistics. Fighter just switched from Bass oh, yeah. to yep. um, And then Lee Livesey, who just won the Lake Fork event, uh they're both fishing out of ballistics which are they're pretty impressive boat if you haven't heard of them i would definitely look into them um if i could ever swing that price tag i think i would definitely purchase one of those boats but uh they don't have any gauges they have zero gauges it's all on yeah the the your gauge is your depth finder on it so what they do is it's called uh it's a nema 2000 uh, kit that hooks up to the computer of your motor and it gives you pretty much all your engine analysis the garments do take it a step above and they actually can read the codes that your motor throws so if uh you have a major issue your your garmin unit is going to do it a little bit better than everyone else's um i think Lawrence is probably going to come up with an update i'm sure hummingbird will too to be more competitive with that aspect um but yeah, you can hook it right up to your Merc, your Yamaha, or if you're still running a G2, you can definitely hook it up to that as well. Um, and it's a pretty dang cool feature. Uh, it almost eliminates the need for a Mercury SmartCraft gauge. 
Uh, that being said, um, Mercury does have a new phone app uh, product. It's like a, a mini SmartCraft gauge that hooks up to an app on your phone that you just plug right into your motor. And so that can give you all the diagnostics as well, too. But it's nice being able to see your fuel consumption, and it pretty much does the math for you to know how much gas you have and if you're going to run out or not. That's, that is, that's nuts. It is crazy. Now, <laughs> yeah. now, now you mentioned, uh, you know, some of these other guys, uh, you know, coming out, or, or some of these other guys, some of the, you know, Garmin, uh, Humminbird, Lowrance, uh coming out with, you know, different things to, to be more competitive. Is Humminbird going to drop their uh, their live deal or what? I would assume so. Um, the only thing that worries me about the Humminbird Live is it doesn't have the black box that the deucer plugs into. Uh, what that black box is, if you look at the Garmin one or the, the Lowrance one, it's got a bunch of heat sink on it. Uh, what that is is just a, it's a board on the inside there, and it's, it's a processor. And so that what that does is it, it blends the different sonar crystals, and it, it allows the head unit to just show everything as a display and it does most of the thinking to decipher the transducer out or uh, input i should say uh all the data it's receiving it deciphers that for the head and the head just acts as a you know as a monitor um the hummingbird one doesn't have that so that really worries me on how fast the processor speed is going to be with the fact that there could be a very significant delay in your sonar signal with it, which we are already seeing there is quite a bit of a delay with the Lowrance active target compared to the live scope, um, which isn't necessarily a make or break type thing. But if you're a jerkbait fisherman or a guy that's a crankbait fisherman, um, or if you're fishing like suspended spotted bass that are moving very fast, you know, that's something that you might want to consider being a negative. So that that's one big thing with the hummingbird one that i am worried about but that being said i haven't seen it yet um i could be completely wrong on it it could be you know the, the cat's ass it, it could be something that completely changes everything because they're using a higher frequency than everyone else they're using the megahertz that uh they've been known to be uh utilizing in their side imaging and down imaging in 360 now for the past few years so it could be something really cool we'll just have to see but I am pretty surprised they haven't released it yet. Yeah, no doubt. You think Garmin has something the second that Humminbird drops there? Is that Garmin's going to have something a month later? Uh, it's not a month later, but they are releasing something this fall. Um, I can't get any information on what it is. I just know that there is something coming this fall, apparently. It's either like this late fall or early winter, which is kind of weird for an introduction. It's right. same with hummingbirds. Normally, most brands interdu introduce a new product in July um, at ICAST. So I'm kind of confused at why these companies are just randomly doing launches. You'd think you'd launch something at the most heavily covered press event in the industry. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so there I'm... I, definitely know that they are releasing something it's either this fall or this winter um and it's supposed to pretty much blow everything else out of the water so i don't know whether that's live 3d imaging which it would be which is my what i'm assuming it could be which i don't know if you've ever heard of 3d structure scan where it pretty much gives you like a picture of what uh 
it's it's structure imaging or side imaging that you can actually rotate so you can get a three-dimensional view of it. Uh, Simrad, Raymarine, and Lowrance heavily push that product. Um, that's more used in the salt industry, though, I believe. It's kind of faded out in the freshwater industry. But that would be my assumption is that they come up with a 3D live, um, which would be pretty sweet. Uh, the other thing that I could see is if they figured out a way to do a live 360 view that doesn't have a cone angle. So like their perspective view that they have, it's a really narrow cone angle. So if a fish is too close to you or too far away from you, you're not going to see it at all. Um, they might maybe widen out that cone. So it's like a 90 degree cone instead of a 20 degree cone. Uh, so you actually can see everything, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see what they come up with. Those are just a couple of my theories on what they're releasing, though. Because yeah. I know it is they're they're very possible um, sonar concepts. They just take a lot of money, and Garmin's got the money to do it. No doubt yeah, about no that. Doubt. Our buddy yeah. Two Picks Hicks, he says that it's a 360 deal, so we'll have to wait and find out. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um, I know that the likelihood that it's a true 360, like hummingbirds, is very low. Right. Um our Japanese company called Hondex has a product that's very similar to 360 imaging. Uh, Hondex is a division of Honda that, uh, you know, is a big factor in a lot of our Vexlar sonar technology. Well, they have a lot of products that they produce over in Japan for commercial fishermen. Um, and they have 360 imaging technology. Um, but, they're so hummingbird is so heavily patented with their 360 imaging it is very hard to kind of get around that factor in the sense that uh what 360 imaging is it's a rotating transducer it's a rotating side imaging transducer essentially and then uh the the hummingbird unit then breaks down the processor or the processor breaks down the the imagery into a, a circular dome to clean it up and make it look good and be able to tell and decipher what everything is. Um, that's the one thing that is so heavily patented because theirs is a continuously rotating transducer, whereas our the one over in Japan is a segmented or it is a you know pan for like three seconds and then stop. And then it'll pan for another three seconds and stop. So it is extremely delayed. So I don't know if it's going to be a true 360. Um, if anything, it could be a live 360 and they could just beat hummingbird to the punch, um, which it seems like they've been doing the last few years. So I, it's definitely not out of the question. That's, that's crazy it's, stuff. No it, doubt about it. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. cool to see what they all come up with. So, mm-hmm. you know, the people that oh, benefit are us. So yeah, exactly. But yeah, all I think is that my I'm assuming that there you're gonna start seeing sonar bands probably at major fishing levels within the next five years. Um, there's some ice fishing tournaments that already have banned live scope. So my assumption would be that probably within the next five years you're gonna start to see, you know, this actually play a big effect in sonar bandage which has never happened before so that that's something that i think is going to be happening my my assumption is in five years we're going to start to see some bands put on certain types of sonar and i think 
the reason why they're going to start doing that is because all brands are going to have it now so they can even sweep across the board. Yeah, right. Whereas, right. They're before, not just targeting one brand. Yeah, exactly. Because before, you know, all the Garmin guys would be pissed because they have live sonar imaging and no one else had it. And it's only unfair to those guys. But now that every brand has it, which you're already starting to see most pros have multiple brands of graphs on their boats now. Um, But I think it'll be pretty even sweep across the board. And once everyone has it, so that's my little prediction there. Nice. That's pretty incredible stuff. No doubt about it, Matt. Um, You know, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, We're even, we're closing in on an hour talking to you here, which is, uh, I don't know. Felt like it was only 15 minutes. Yeah, was, that was really yeah. pretty crazy. Um, you got any big trips coming up soon? Uh, not really like any trips, like so to say, planned. I'm just waiting for summer break to get here so I can just go on like day trips and have lakes to myself. Yeah, I'm going in June up to the Boundary Waters with Scott Mockentoon. Oh, that'll be fun. Yep, yeah. yep. So uh, hopefully well, he's a good cook because I'm a good eater. Yeah. Speak, speaking speaking of yep. eating, we we like to actually start off our interviews with random questions. We're and gonna, I blew it. We're gonna we're gonna end our end our interview here today with a couple random questions. And Scott and I <laughs> we, we fancy ourselves as some eaters here. So yep. if you were a competitive eater, what would your you know your food be that you dominated in? Ribeye. 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 Ooh. Ooh. Matt, Matt's is foot long hot dogs without the bun. <laughs> I mean, you can't deny what you're good at, Matt. In the sense that I love eating it and I could bathe in it, and it's absolutely the greatest gift God has ever given for food. And I might not be the best or fastest at eating it, but I'm going to be happy eating it. That's what I'm talking about. How, how are you cooking that ribeye? Medium rare. Good. Yep. If you would have said, well done, I would have deleted this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you putting steak sauce on I, it? I with you. What was that? Steak sauce? Oh, absolutely not. Salt and pepper. All right. Yeah, S&P. S&P and go with it. Yep. yep. Right yep. on. He's the way for me. All right. If you're, uh, if you're going out and you're going to have some wings, we've been talking a lot about wings on this show, almost more than fishing. If you're going to go out and you're going to have yourself some wings, what kind of wings you having? Ooh. Um... I, I like a variety, to be honest with you. I'm the kind of guy where, I mean, we've got, there's a place over here on Sundays that they have, uh, um, I think it's like 60 cent wings or something mm. like that. Um, and I, I like getting six of a bunch of different flavors. So I'll get like 20 wings and I'll get one buffalo. Um, I like a little tangy Asian spice. Um, and then I'll mix in some like, uh, parmesan garlic and then a classic barbecue so i like to you know go all over the place my favorite wing place ever though is up in northern minnesota it's out i forget the small town it's in the bemidji area it's called gosh damn wings Uh, i mean straight to the point we ain't gonna beat around the bush here i mean it sounds good (laughs) it's pretty dang good but i i like a variety but if i had to choose one um oof I don't know that that spicy Asian tangy stuff that this place has pretty freaking good. <laughs> are you are you are you the type of guy that's going to throw a bunch of ranch or blue cheese on there? Um, I don't throw a ton on. I like to dip a little bit in just to get a little blue cheese flavor or ranch oh, flavor. I, I like both. Um, but 
I don't know. I'm, I like it. I like things straight up. I don't like adding a whole bunch of sauce to it. It kind of kills the flavor. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Bone I, in, or, bone in or boneless? Dry rub. Um, bone in. Bone in. Yeah. I figured yeah. you were a bone in guy. You. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like I like the bone in ones. Anna, my fiance, can't stand it, but I like licking them clean. Same yep. with same with porterhouse steaks. Bone in. Uh, T bone or uh, not porterhouse, but T bones. Um, yeah, I like having uh, I like having the bone in on my my meat it, it just makes it i don't know i feel like it has something to do with the flavor oh definitely you're our type of guy matt i mean this <laughs> is I, I just really like how we closed out this interview <laughs> absolutely i need to get you guys up to minnetonka to do a weekend of fishing or actually you know what better yet i'll come down there and do a weekend of fishing because i kind of don't like the cities up here so i like getting out of town yeah, don't blame you you come down yeah. to okaboji and we'll put you up Oh, perfect. Well, let's make her. Let's make her happen. All right. Well, we'll see will. you in a day. <laughs> yeah, and if you and if you run across Mockintoon up there, punch him in the kneecap for us. <laughs> if you can reach that high. <laughs> All right, man. I might have to reach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome, man. We really appreciate you taking time, and uh, yeah, hopefully, we can get you on again sometime. Absolutely, I'd love it anytime, guys. All right. See ya. Yep. See you later. And that was Matt Waldron. Uh, yeah, that was, that's really pretty incredible. Uh, listening to a guy like that makes you realize really quickly how little you truly know, uh, about Marine electronics and sonar. Uh, pretty incredible. Um, yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, obviously Matt, uh, is not here for this outro. Uh, yeah. So I'm just going to kind of shoot a little stuff from the hip. Um, NWT wrapped up uh, this last week, uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, a lot of the local guys did really well. Um, Chase Parsons uh, comes away with the win, so that was pretty cool. Um, give a shout out to Brennan Lockwood, uh, fellow hooked on Hardwater Pro, and uh, uh, he stays in the cabin with us. I believe he ended up with ninth on the co-angler side, so that was really cool. He actually got to fish with John Hoyer on day one, so that's really awesome. Uh, Garth Haukus, uh, he was up there. Uh, Garth didn't uh, didn't have the uh, the finish he probably was hoping for. Uh, you know, I I, I talked to him, uh, sent him a couple text messages, and he was having a lot of fun. He said he was learning a lot, but uh, pretty crazy. He actually ended up in last place on the co angler side. So, uh, um, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, when you're the co angler, you're kind of at the mercy of uh, of your pro and you know that that's just the way it is you know call it a bad draw call it bad luck whatever but uh you know either way you're out there fishing for two days and you know you got a chance to cash a big check yeah like i said either way still pretty awesome um yeah so i guess that's about all we really have i'm not going to do a good news story of the week uh i guess if i'm gonna do one it's the fact that me and matt got out today um and we we each leaned on a couple really nice largemouth bass uh I don't know. I got to think mine was, uh, you know, both me and Matt's. I mean, I think Matt's was over four. I'd say mine was in the five pound range. Um, Matt caught a couple little dinks. I only did catch that, uh, that one nice bass. I got a brand new Rapala scale. I was pumped up to bring it, told Matt I had it in the vehicle. Didn't have it. So yeah, shoot. But I guess uh, that's going to really wrap up the, this week's episode. This is really weird sitting here and talking by myself. I don't like it. I, I, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta have Matt back and, uh, and we will. 
this coming week we will. Uh, we're actually going to record an episode here, uh, kind of a turn and burn here in the next uh, night or two. We're going to be recording another one. And uh, this is a very special guest that we got coming down the pipe. This is a guy that we've been, uh, been wanting to get for a long time. Uh, a lot of people have messaged in and said, Hey, why don't you get so-and-so? Why don't you, you know, whatever. And, and we've wanted to, and, and, uh, finally it's, it's, it's going to work out. We've talked to him and, uh, we've got it on the schedule. And as long as he doesn't back out, that'll be the plan. So, uh, we're really, really, really excited, uh, uh, for next week's episode. Uh, stay tuned and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.